Taking your seats, kids, you guys are dismissed to your classes. As they're heading out, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, as we just sang that we long and we wait for you to come. But between now and when you return and make all things new, may we be like that bride that is being prepared by the Holy Spirit, that's being sanctified, that's being taken from one glory to the next, one likeness of you to the next. May we be that bride that is faithfully waiting for you. May your coming soon cause us to further obedience, to encourage us to understand what's at stake. Help us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Authority. Just that word may shriek in your minds. It may be like chalk or nails scraping across the chalkboard when you just hear authority. It's everywhere. Authority is everywhere. Authority is inescapable. One of the responsibilities of authority is to uphold a standard or a law. So if you're in authority, you've been given that authority to uphold a standard or some sort of law that is there. And that's no small thing. Because if authority is corrupt, thinking more about our civil authority, if civil authority is corrupt and is not held to the standard or law, Society will soon be corrupt as well. well. That's one of the reasons why we have in our bulletins, we praying for law enforcement in our community, because if the law enforcement is corrupt, the ones who are enforcing the law, what does that mean about the rest of society? Who does society turn to for help if the law enforcers are corrupt? That even being said, if you turn to the church, if the church's authority, I'm talking big C church or small C church or whatever you're capitalizing, not capitalizing, either way, the same thing is across the board. If the church authority is corrupt, soon the church will be as well. So when we come to this passage today, everyone that cares about CBC, everyone that cares about the, this local body as well as the church universal, this should be one of those where you sit up and listen. Not that you don't listen before, but this is one of those where you go, hey, wait a minute, because you get this passage wrong. I would say the building crumbles. Because this passage alone gives itself clear marching orders for the church leadership. Now, it is not ironic because God is sovereign in all things. But when uh, Pastor Caleb continues to keep pounding me, hey, we need the sermon schedule for the next several months, and I sit there and I go through Peter, and I have no idea like how long one thing is going to take or whatever, and by God's grace, we started this like two Novembers ago, that we would literally be talking about leadership on the day that we're electing leaders in the church is God's sovereign plan, not mine at all. All right, you can blame Caleb for harping me. Give me that. All right, all right, fine. We'll go. We'll do these three. I don't know if we'll get to those three or not. You know, we had a six-week marriage thing in the middle that threw us all off that got us to here. All right. So God is not a God of just randomness. He knew that we needed this today. And I would tell you what. Um, this week, the schoolmaster of the word was beating on me. And 
I hope it does the same to the leaders in this room and to you as a flock. So here we go. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but examples to the flock. So what we're going to see here, The title of this is Church Leadership. Before we go any further, though, I want to just give you just a short little breakdown of how the elders work here at CBC. Basically, and I'm summarizing, and I'm not quoting the Constitution or anything else, basically we have a group of elders that are co-equal. In that group of elders of co-equal, the CBC has two elders that have been given the task of studying the Word and teaching full-time. Uh, you can, if you want to dig into how we even came to that conclusion, 1 Peter 5.17 talks about that. I mean, 1 Timothy 5.17 talks about that. Why we would, out of this group of elders, say, here's two of you are going to set aside time for the main purpose of the teaching and the preaching of the Word. And so with that in mind, and I'm going to say there's reasons why we got that besides just 1 Timothy 5.17, also this passage as well. When we're speaking to elders, he is speaking, as I believe in this passage, to are one group of men. We have another group, deacons. We'll hit that in a second, but this is not about deacons. This is about elders. This is about that group of co-equals that at CBC, two of us have been tasked with the primary teaching and preaching of the Word. So before we go any further, though, I want to give us... We need to stop here for a second and understand that Peter, the apostle, is writing this and all the context in it because point number one is we're going to see Peter's example, how he talks. So here's... Let's just break down the text. He starts off, he says, so I, meaning Peter, exhort. The word exhort here is the idea of a strong urging. Notice it is not a command. He's not commanding them. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them to do the function this way. Now, remember back in 1 Peter 1.1, Peter starts off the book by saying, Peter, an apostle. So he could have pulled out the apostle card and said, all right, listen here, elders. Just want to let you know, here's my apostle card. I'm going to play it on the table here. Listen up, all right? He could have pulled the trump out and said, here we go. But no, he says, I exhort you. So we're learning even more about Peter here. And notice what he says. I exhort the elders among you. So now simple grammar here. Who is he talking to? He is talking to a group of elders, and he's also talking to the you. Who is the you? He's speaking to a group of people that there's elders amongst them, plus those who are called to follow the elders. So he's not just speaking only to elders, because if he was only speaking to elders, he would say, listen up, elders, I've got something to say. What he is saying is, I'm talking to the elders that are amongst the flock here. So the flock is also the audience in this as well. And so you see two audiences here, the elders and then the you, which is the flock. And here's how he goes on to say, and there's so many lessons that we can learn by the way that Peter identifies himself here. So he says, I exhort the elders among you, and notice what he says, as a fellow elder. He is a leader just like you. Let's think through this for a second. All right, like if you're looking for little things where Peter's saying, like, I'm not the Pope. All right, this is when a good passage to be like Peter's going, listen, I'm just like you guys. All right, um, there's nothing, anything more special about me or whatever. 
But when he says, I exhort the elders among you, I'm a fellow elder, we need to pause for a second and go, well, what's an elder? All right, let's turn to 1 Timothy here, 1 Timothy 3. And I want to make sure we get this very, very, very clear. Who is an elder? Or even who can be an elder? Because our problem we have in society is we just don't like words that have meanings. And because we just want to make it what it says. And you'll see this playing out. So 1 Peter, oh, sorry, 1 Timothy, we'll get there in a second. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And it says, this The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, notice he uses the word overseer here, not the word elder, but we're going to see that these things can be used as exchangeable words for them. See this in 1 Peter 5 especially. Aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife helping you out there. In order to be a husband, you have to be. You have to be a male. All right. By the definition of the word husband, that you might go, why are you making such a big deal about that? Uh, you'll you'll hear it. You'll understand in a second. All right. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard nor violent, but gentle, not quarreling, a lover of good. Verse a lover, not a lover of money. Verse four. There's a pronoun there. He. Referring back to the husband, and a husband can only be a male. He, being a male, must manage his, another pronoun of a male, his own household well with all dignity, keeping his, again, his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the shepherd, for God's church? He must not be a convert, recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by his outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Real quick, what is an elder? An elder is a man who is leading the church and they have requirements. That's all we turn there to find. All right, there are requirements for an elder and he is a male that has been called to lead the church. I believe the text is beyond clear on what their requirements are. And even if you wanted to continue on, you'll see he moves from elders to deacons and we'll see there's a deacons that are coming up, but Peter here is talking about elders. So he says, I'm a fellow elder. Notice what he also says here. I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ. Peter literally saw the suffering of Christ. You could even go a little bit more and even say Peter caused some of the earthly suffering of Christ when he denied him. All right, he saw the suffering. He could even say like when I caused some of that suffering as well in this mix. But it's also interesting too why he says this. And I want to be, I want to, launch into a little just side trail here for a second. Remember, Peter is writing to a group of people that are about ready to receive horrible persecution. Who goes down first when a church is persecuted? The leaders. So what he's going to be having, this letter is going to be bouncing around, and what you're going to have a couple of years into the future is a group of people huddled in the catacombs in Rome, and they're going to be identifying who the leaders are. And those leaders are going to be like, oh, I'm next on the chopping block but I'm also caused to shepherd the flock. We need, to, we need to forget some, we forget sometimes that the leaders of the church outside of America, when you become a leader, when you are identified as a leader of the church, you're literally going, all right, I'll take one on the chin for the, for the team because guess who's coming after us first? Because everyone knows you, distri- you strike the shepherd, you scatter the flock. There's a bullseye that's being placed on these men 
that Peter is talking to. And notice what he says, even more, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Meaning you may never see this glory here, this side of heaven, but there is greater things yet to come. And we will be partakers in that glory that will be revealed one day. So Peter here in point number one is saying, I am just like you. I am not any greater of an elder. There's not an elder among elders. I am a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering. And when I talk to you, I'm identifying with you. I'm not saying, listen up, you guys, I know it all. None of you know it or anything else like that. He's saying, here's what we do together. And so now he's going to turn and he's going to use in verse 2 here an example. Point number two, we're going to see here the concept of shepherding the flock, right? So when we have this idea of the shepherd and the flock, it's interesting that another name then for an elder, because he's literally saying, are shepherds of the flock. So here we have elder, right? And next we have a shepherd. Another name for a shepherd in the language is pastor. Pastor and shepherd are the same thing as well as an elder. So if you have an elder, you also have a pastor and a shepherd. These things can be seen, and we'll see later, they can also be called an overseer. All the same office, but just different titles. And so we need to ask ourselves, if the pastor is the shepherd that Peter is talking to, or the elders are the shepherd that Peter is talking to, and he's referring to the leaders as shepherds and the followers or the, the church as a flock, what are some of the things that just naturally come from that example? So what we see here is that a follower of God first is to be part of a flock. And I'll even go even further to be part of a local flock. Because we have the larger universal church, but if you are a follower of God, the writing here assumes that you are part of a flock. And as you're part of a flock, you have placed yourself in a way willingly under the shepherd or the pastor that is overseeing that flock. Look at the in front of us here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So that means that there's a larger flock of God, but what God has done, he's entrusted these elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Again, this is why I encourage us as leaders here in the church, as elders in the church, as people in the church that are responding to this, the way we are to interact with one another is a pastor to his flock or a shepherd to his flock. And when you think about the shepherd to his flock, how does the flock and the shepherd interact? Well, I'll give you what it doesn't do. Elders are not cowboys. All right, what do cowboys do? They drive cattle. A shepherd does not drive sheep. All right, he leads them. All right, and so if we, if we start to, sadly, if an elder starts to become a cowboy, he pulls out his whip and just cracks the whip, and the sheep just, ev- I mean, the, the cows of this example, are even grumbling as they keep moving. I mean, I've, you've lit- I've seen them when the cows are like, I don't want to do this, but they hear the whip, and they're, they're doing that, that moo that's like, I'm, I'm rebelling while I'm walking away from you type of deal. This is not how the church is supposed to respond. It is from a shepherd to his flock. And notice even this. They are to shepherd the flock. In order for the shepherd to shepherd the flock that is among them, the flock must be willing to listen to the shepherd or the elders or the overseers of that flock. This would also destroy the mentality that sadly is alive and well in many of our uh, evangelical circles that I don't need to be part of a church, just me, my Bible, 
and the woods. That does not exist in this language here. I would also say that's exactly what Satan wants to do. We're going to get to uh, 1 Peter it's like 8, 9, and 10 here, where the roaring lion is seeking who he may devour. And we're not going to put up like a nature show here, but I'll just hop to you real quick. You know what lions look for? The isolated prey. And they pick off the isolated prey. And what does Satan want to do when we start struggling with sin and everything else? What's the sadly knee-jerk reaction to a believer who is wounded and struggling for sin? Get away from the flock because they're afraid the flock's going to judge them. But what do they need? To be part of the flock even more? And so, I mean, that's a whole other sermon another day. But I just throw that back to our lion example. The, the, he's a prowling lion seeking who he may devour. All right, this is like life and death situation here, not who he may nibble on. This is a devouring that takes place. This is why the flock must gather. This is why the flock needs each other. This is why the flock needs a shepherd as well. Next, we see that the pastor of the flock is responsible for their flock. The God-entrusted flock, but they're responsible for their flock. They're not responsible for other flocks. That's why, again, this is, again, you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt be a member of a local church. All right, but I would go, here are the principles that are right in front of you. Be part of a flock, and we'll get to two passages of Scripture that encourage you to, for you elders sitting in the room here, we need to, we need to take this seriously. Acts 20. 28. Acts 20, 28. In Acts 20, 28 here, Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus. And here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Meaning, Make sure you are following after God. Make sure you are following after the things of God. You are to pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice who's making them overseers. The flock did not vote them in. The Holy Spirit made them an overseer. So I would almost argue that we, in a little bit here, annual meeting, we're not voting anyone in. We're more identifying what God is doing in, the, in our midst. Just something to think about. Be careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And now this is the part that should cause every leader, every pastor to go gulp which he obtained with his own blood. You elders in this room, you are shepherding the blood-bought body of Christ. And that is no, no, no small thing. Also no small thing of, for your salvation as well. Then if it wasn't said enough, the writer of Hebrews which I wholeheartedly believe is Barnabas, but I will not say that from the pulpit, jokingly. Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. Reminding the flock in this shepherd-to-flock ratio, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
Why should they obey your leaders and submit to them? This is one of the verses we read when we welcome in new members. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as to those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for what, for what would be of no advantage for you if they would do that. I think as well as, again, as we debate when books were written and whatever, but it's almost clear that Peter's taking a line out of this, or Barnabas is taking a line out of 1 Peter, either way there. All right, this whole concept that we're talking about, this responsibility that is there. Let's go back to 1 Peter here, 1 Peter chapter 5. The reason why the flock and the shepherd are called to be in that way is because one is being held accountable and the other is being held accountable to how well they listen to their shepherd as well. The chief shepherd, yet the under shepherds here. So let's, uh, point number three. This oversight, to exercise oversight. Now, Peter's going to go through a list here. He's going to say, don't do it this way, do it this way. Don't do it this way, do it this way. But before he does this, though, I need to take a pause here for a moment. And I, we, need to, we need to pause because this is, this is an issue that is incredibly alive and well in our society. Sadly, in the church, I mean. Alive and well in the church. Confusion over this. So, to put it in this way, remember that God has given each one of us We believe way back in Genesis that God has given each one a role. Men, he has given a role. Women, he has given a role. In life in general, right? Like one bears children, the other one does not bear children. We've given roles in this. You're following this. And as those roles are given, we can argue against them. We can say, I don't like them. We can do whatever, but those are God-given roles. And literally, we live in a society that is saying, we will rebel against everything we can of our God-given roles. And so all of a sudden, it comes to the church now, and there's God-given roles in the church. And we can either chafe against that and try to say we don't like it or whatever. And so what happens then is, here's the temptation. The temptation is through the long, slippery slope of certain things. So we know that an elder, which is pretty clear, I think we went through 1 Timothy there, is a male. All right, well, you know, the whole woke mob starts pushing on the church and starts saying, you're belittling women, you're doing all those other things where I'm going, have you just not read the Bible? I mean, seriously, come on. And so as we walk through that, all of a sudden, a lady comes into some type of role in the church because, you know, we need to make sure we balance that. And so we're not going to call her an elder, but here's what we call her a shepherd. She's shepherding the flock. And you go, what? If she's a shepherd, she's a pastor. And if she's a pastor, she's a elder. All right, no, let's not call her that. Let's not think we just did some really cool thing here in the corner or whatever. We go, oh, no, no, she's just an overseer. Well, if she's an overseer, let's listen to Peter's argument. She's a shepherd. If she's a shepherd, she's a pastor. If she's a pastor, she's an elder. All right, and so what I've literally watched, you do that, you get church over here starting to just, we'll just not say what they really are, and 10 years down the line, they're just full-blown elders, and you're going, have you not read First Timothy? All right, and we're sitting here, and then we wonder why there's such confusion in our ranks, all right? And my prayer for us is this, we don't start those slippery slopes because the Word of God has said. And you, we sit here and we go, we will be held accountable for this one day. No different than this. If you, if you struggle with the roles in the church, I'll give you an example real quick. Uh, there was a, a team that played last night that did a phenomenal job, all right? And then this team that played last night, I won't mention who it was, but I don't remember them wearing green and gold, actually. But um, they were playing last night, 
And there were several unbelievable running plays that were made. A running back just ran all the way down, and everybody's like, that's great, and every, all the cameras are on him. Nobody pans back to the lineman. Everybody's looking at the running back, and so what everybody thinks is, I want to be a running back someday. But you realize the running back can't do that without the lineman, all right? And this is the part of, in the beautiful world that we live in, in the church, we need men to be men, and we need women to be women, because we can't do that without men being men, and women being women to their fullest extent and what God has called them to. And so when we say those things and we place ourselves, when we start putting men in places where God has not said men should be or women where God has not said women to be, we are literally exposing them to disobedience. And this is the part as a leadership we have to take seriously. We have to say, as part of the flock, we do not want to expose you to any form of disobedience that we as leadership had said, go ahead and be disobedient to what God's Word says. And this is, this is what's in front of us here. So, that being said, let's look at these do's and don'ts of a shepherd or a pastor. So here he says, a pastor is to exercise oversight, or elders exercise oversight, not under compulsion. Not under compulsion literally means you do not see the role of an elder as a task, rather you see it as a joy to do. Because when the pastor starts seeing, or the elder starts seeing his role as a task, authoritarian power starts to creep in. Because we just have a task to do, and what are we going to do? We're going to get this task done, and you guys better listen up, because here we go, all right? That's where the pastor starts seeing it as a task, not a joy. He's not to do it for shameful gain, Peter says here. Not for shameful gain. Again, using the church to get things. He's not supposed to be a greedy person. Trying to use the church and the power that he has in the church to bring about his own greed. Not domineering, he goes on to say here. Domineering, we mean by that. Because when, a, when we mean by domineering, we're talking about pride in that idea. Pride here, because what can happen very quickly is people that are in front, can very quickly start to li listen to the praise and the applause of man, not God. So here's what we do not want elders to be. This is what Peter's telling them. We don't want them to be driven by their love of counting the numbers of people. We don't want them to love money. We don't want them to try to see themselves as a hero. And some of you may say, boy, that sounds like, you know, a really shiny-teethed man down in Texas, or you can label whatever your big, you know, megachurch guy is and think that that's only megachurch worlds, right? But I would tell you, that's alive and well all over the place of every shape and size of church. We don't, want to, we don't need elders who love power rather than the flock. We don't, love, we don't need elders who love money more than the flock. We don't want men who love their own praise more than the flock. But what do we want? Here's what Peter goes on to say. We want them to be willing. We want them to want to serve, but willingly. Not in, under compulsion, but willingly. They want to desire to serve. Almost the idea of leaning forward saying, where can we serve? We want it to be, for them to be eager, cheerfully ready to serve. This is a cheerful readiness that does not see the needs of the flock as a burden to them. And last but not least here, 
Not domineering, but being an example. We want the pastor to, to realize that before they can lead the church anywhere, or the elder, before they can lead the church anywhere, they must be there calling the flock on. Just like the shepherd stands in front of the sheep, he call it, calling them on, the pastor must be there calling to his sheep to respond as well. So this is the type of elder, type of leader that we want. This is what Peter is calling for. But what I want to give you here, I'm going to give you two sides of the ditch that leaders can fall into and that we are all susceptible to. Side of the ditch one, whether you want it to be the left side or the right side, it doesn't matter. The elder or the leader starts to find their security in the flock instead of God. The flock likes me. People are coming is all that matters. Whether you're faithful to what God has called you to do, that doesn't matter. It's just, are we filling the pews? Are the budget numbers looking good? Do people like what they're hearing? And all of a sudden, before you know that, the pastor and the leadership starts to hear this. And then all of a sudden, you get to some passages of Scripture that have got some teeth in it. And you're like, if we say this, we might lose some people. So let's just kind of round off those teeth. And before you know that, error just comes right through the front door. And you start not saying what the Word of God says, and then you're not shepherding the flock. You're saying, I know better than the chief shepherd knows about what his church needs. And so what starts to happen then is the pastor starts to assess his ministry by worldly standards or his own popularity. You know, did I get so many likes or, or whatever? And all before you know it, you're chasing that instead of faithfulness. So that's one side. Here's the other side. The leadership starts to become cynical. Because the leadership has heard more than their share of opinions on things. And they start to see the flock as a nuisance instead of loving the flock. Or, they have been vulnerable and they've been hurt by people. Someone shares a story, someone, you open the crack a little bit into, into your life, and all of a sudden the church runs in and goes, whatever, just wants to tear you apart. I have literally watched pastoral colleagues of mine in churches, and it is as if the pastor is here and he does not let the flock into his life, because he has been burned hard. You know, like I'll share a story where I get angry one time. I'll give you an example. A guy shares a story, he gets angry, and you know what? They accuse the pastor of being a hot-tempered man and everything else. And you're like, uh, let me hear one of the times you get angry, right? You know, like I'm human. And so they become jaded, and so they start to hide behind the things where conversations with your kids, oh, we got to be on our best behavior, <laughs> Because everyone's watching. And so your kids become resentful because it is what it is, right? Because you know who's supposed to have the best kids here? You know who's supposed to have the best marriage? The pastor, right? And to admit that he has any flaws or to admit that he has any issues, all of a sudden then people may not hold him in as high as whatever. You know, you, you see where the struggle comes, right? And so one of the things that Alice and I have determined, I said, you know what? 
We need to be vulnerable. We need to realize that we are just people saved by grace that have been called to the primary teaching and equipping of the church. And what, you know what? If you know our junk, you know our junk, but we're going to follow God together. All right? And we're going to try to lead that way. And my prayer is that you guys see that as well and to go like, we don't need to put on a show here. All right? And so that's the prayer of this. But here's what can happen. Because I'm a words guy, all right, and Alex and my kids, so a little side note. Speaking at a father-son retreat, I'm kind of not preaching at the moment here, but we'll just talk. I was speaking at a father-son retreat, and you have these blessed, wonderful people that come up and tell you all the things you didn't say right, and maybe you should correct it at your last, your next time. And Tim and I are playing foosball there, and I'm like, I thought this was a little break. Thank, thank you for your wonderful critique on I didn't explain faith well enough or something like that or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, by God's grace, these, these are wonderful grace people in my life, right? And Tim looked at me and he goes, Dad, don't read into that too much. You're going to overthink it the rest of the time here. And I said, I know. I know I'm going to do that. But when we're done playing here, I'm going to put one more slide together. So when I talk next, I can get that off of my brain to redo that. And so we had a whole slide up the next time we talked because I had to get that out of my mind. And these are the things that happen because in my own mind, all the time I'm sitting here going, am I going to get cynical at this? Am I going to struggle with this? Or other times when you're walking along the flock and you see people hell-bent and running off the cliffs of destruction and they seemed and you're trying to work with these people and they're just, doesn't matter. And you start to question, does God's word really matter? Does it really change people? And you start to think that it's going to be some well-crafted little nugget that you're going to give them instead of realizing it's the Spirit's job to change people, not you. And you need to get it out of the way and let the word of God speak. All right, saying all of that, again... Bring back to, now we'll go back to preaching. The elder. The elder must be secure and content in who they are in Christ and what God has called them to. The elder must be secure and content in who they are in Christ and what God has called them to. That is what we need for the leaders of this church. So in closing here, I have three points here, and then a quote from Alistair Begg, and I will not do it justice in his Scottish accent, but you'll hear how he would have said it. So what did we learn today? Here's what we learned. You are about to do something at CBC. You're about to vote for church leadership, and that is very, very, very important. But here's what I'd like to encourage you. We are not making them elders or deacons. In the church, we are more identifying the leaders that God is raising up. That is what we are doing. We're not making them something as if all of a sudden they weren't and now they are. We are acknowledging that God is at work here bringing these people into this place. So, pray for your leaders. Because as the leadership goes, so goes the church, and the enemy knows this. The enemy knows this well. But we need men who are willing to say, come what may, I will step up into this position. It's interesting, I was listening to Alistair Begg on this sermon. Here's what he said, I just, I loved it. He says, 
Eldership is not about prestige, position, privilege, distinction, or honor. That's not what eldership is about. I'll repeat it again. It's not about prestige, position, privilege, distinction, or honor. He says, so if you have old George in your church, and he's quite a fine fellow, he is, and he's been around for a while, good old old George, and you want to give him a position of distinction. If you want to give him prestige, position, privilege, honor, do not make him an elder. Send him on a holiday. Because what he is saying is just because you have someone you want to give a spot of recognition to, if he's not qualified, send him on a vacation. Because here's what he goes on to say. I'll tell you, this quote was so good, I was listening to it while I was working on a puzzle because my mind is all over the place. And he said this, and I literally had to pause it, go back, shuffle through all my stuff, and like, we need to add this to here for those about ready to be chosen into leadership. When you appoint an elder, what you are doing is recognizing God's hand on his life, as well as placing an added burden as he makes his way to eternity. For one day, he will stand before Christ, and he will answer for those under his care. I'll repeat that one more time. When you appoint an elder, what you are doing is recognizing God's hand on his life, as well as placing an added burden as, to make, as he makes his way to eternity. For on the day when he stands before Christ, he will answer for those under his care. That is why when God placed the elders of this church, which the elders then recognize God's appointing in my own life, what I have done is covenant with you as members of this church that I will love you and call you to obedience no matter where you go, no matter what happens. I'll be kind of like that little guy that's in the corner that's always there. We're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere because God has called me to this even if you don't want to hear me, even if you don't want to talk to me. Hey, I'm here again. Pointing you to Christ because I love you and also because you are literally been blood-bought by His blood, and He has placed us in charge to steward that well. So, all that being said, this is why the flock is to follow the leadership, but only the flock is to follow the leadership as the leadership follows God. We're about ready to sing here, the church is one foundation. And as we go through this song, I want you to remind yourselves again the beautiful thing of the body of Christ. We're about ready to have an annual meeting where the flock in a way is going to gather, talk about what God is doing in their midst. We praise God for it, but we also look at each other and go, we're doing this together. You know, all of our little bumps and bruises, quirks and everything else, this is the flock that God's called us to. This is the flock that God has called the elders and the deacons to shepherd and to serve. And may we pray that our leadership does it willingly, eagerly, and set examples for us. Not perfect examples, but examples of how we are to follow Christ. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Your Word is alive and active and sharper than any two-worded sword, and it divides all the way down, splicing even the very intentions of the heart. Help us. We desperately need it. 
Give us the strength we need each day as leaders here at this church to be pursuers of you above all, knowing that that is what the flock desperately needs. The flock desperately needs the leadership of the church to be pursuing after Christ because as we do that, those who love Christ will pursue as well. Help us. Humble us. May we be content with who we are in you. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen.